Hi, welcome back to The Cake with Joe and Jane. It's called The Cake because there is a cake for everyone. Whether it's walnut, chocolate, fruit or red velvet, cake is something we have found definitely unites us here at Salisbury Hospital. Thanks so much for joining us again. We have a great episode coming up for you all about prejudice. But before we get going into the episode, we should probably introduce ourselves again. I'm Jane, and I'm one of the Divisional Heads of Nursing here at Salisbury Hospital. And my name's Joe. I'm the Recruitment Team Leader here at the Trust. And joining us on this episode, we have Tanya Baker, the Trust's non-exec sponsor for diversity, equality and inclusion, and sexual health consultant, Helen Iverson. But as we know, people are far more than just their job title. So, Helen, if I can start with you first, what is one thing that people might not know about you? Yeah, and I'm glad you gave me a heads up about this, because I thought... People know everything about me, surely, because <laughs> I'm on Twitter too much, maybe. Um, but then I thought maybe people don't know that I'm really good at the pop music rounds in pub quizzes. Are you? So if you need somebody in a pub quiz to know, me and my friend Jane, between us, we can normally get full marks. I love a pub quiz. Well, there you go, then. You'd be very welcome to join the team. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of area of music are we talking? So I'm all right on the on the sort of last 20 years, and my friend Jane is all right before that, so between us. Brilliant, thank you. <laughs> um, Tanya... Joining us via Zoom today, uh, what is one thing people might not know about you? Some smaller kind of things, like like when I when I was young, table tennis was really my thing, and I played junior county table tennis, but never managed to kind of get any further than that. Wow! And then um, I kind of took up uh, in later life, before it became very fashionable, actually sourdough baking. So I'm a pretty mean uh, baker, which, given my surname, I guess is kind of appropriate. But the, but the one thing that I kind of wanted to, I was to, just to say, going to say actually, that. which is probably more relevant to this conversation, is that I've been married for 42 years, and despite transitioning, I'm still married to the same uh, woman that I married 42 years ago. And I don't think people wow. at the hospital necessarily know that. No, I didn't know that at all. Thank you very much for sharing that. That's really like really nice to hear. Tanya, when did you transition for those who aren't aware of that? Yeah, so um, there's no kind of a set date, uh, to be honest. Um, I- I've always known that I was transgender, but I wasn't kind of really uh, in a position to kind of do anything about it. And so I kind of gradually started tra- to transition probably about 15 years ago, but didn't tr- fully transition until about maybe eight or nine years ago so it's been a kind of gradual process of trying to take people along the journey with me and uh, uh, you know complete the the process that was essential to me really in terms of continuing to function as a person that's amazing thank you very much for sharing that with us so Tanya if I can ask you what how would you describe what prejudice is it's really, I think, about behaving uh, differently to people with kind of different kind of characteristics and showing that kind of uh, behaviour to other people. And I think, you know, many of us are kind of experience it in lots of different ways, but obviously some groups experience a lot of prejudice. And many of us, I think, you know, I was brought up in a white middle class. Obviously, I was born uh, male. So I had a lot yeah. of privilege um, and I recognise that. And I think it's kind to be aware of that uh, kind of privilege and that not everybody has those same advantages. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Helen, how would you describe what prejudice is? I guess my knowledge of prejudice is based on looking after people from marginalised communities, based on either their sexuality, their, their gender, their um, ethnic background. So I, I'd see when people are treated differently, 
either generally in life or, or sadly uh, through their interactions with healthcare. And even though in sexual health we kind of pr pride ourselves on making sure that everybody feels welcome and, and heard and, and listened to, I think we're, we're all human. And so um, it's, it's, it's always important to be picked up on that when we have... Um, uh, we created prejudice within our within our team or with for for our patients. And when you don't know about something as well, I think it's always that kind of uh, fear of not understanding and not knowing, not knowing about race or not knowing about sexuality or not knowing about gender. Then you tend to kind of, or you can bring a prejudice to those conversations rather than trying to understand them. I think that's a lot about it isn't it it's the unknown with prejudices people have those prejudices because they, it, they don't know about something a particular subject you know um and they almost build up those barriers and walls don't they because they just don't understand it and they feel threatened i think as a as a result of that and kind of scared and rather than trying to find out about it you kind of react in a way to protect your your own kind of circle and your own kind of identity and uh, in, in that way, you know, the prejudice all unfortunately starts to kind of come out. So before we focus on you, yourselves, if I start with Helen, can I just ask, have you yourself supported anyone who has experienced prejudice? Sadly, working in sexual health and, and particularly working with uh, people living with HIV, I've, I've looked after quite a few people over the years who, through the prejudice they've experienced, have um, found it very difficult to take their medication, have found it difficult to um, tell people that they're living with HIV if that's their choice to do that. So um, partners, friends and family, colleagues, and then the kind of worst end of that spectrum really is people who, who completely disengage with care, not, not deliberately in any ways, but, and, and then you meet them afterwards and they've become very, very unwell purely because they've not felt able to come and see us. Um, or take their medication and, and in really extreme cases sadly I've, I've looked after people who've died as a result of that prejudice and it and you think to yourself why is this still happening in the UK in, in 2022 it's really depressing and <laughs> um, I mean I'm, I'm happy to say that the majority of of our patients including those people living with HIV are are finding it easier to come to clinic and and see us and lots of them do talk to um, people about their diagnosis but it's telling that when we were putting this podcast together, I thought to myself, oh, who could we speak to for a patient voice? And I could think of about 10 names of people who would be happy to talk. But we look after a cohort of 130 people. And so I'm pretty sure that the rest of them would feel a bit um, reluctant to talk freely about a diagnosis, particularly if it meant that they were going to be identifiable as a result of it. So would you, is it fair to say then that unfortunately... It, despite being in 2022, there is still a large proportion of individuals who are made to feel like it's a, a dirty secret or that it's something they should be ashamed of. Yeah, I think I think sadly that's the case. And, that, and that's not just HIV. It's, we still hear people saying, oh, I don't want to come to clinic like yours. <laughs> and it's and that's a real shame because obviously we would like to be available to look after as many people as possible. And we look after people with other sexually transmitted infections. We provide contraception. And so we don't want people to miss out on that because they feel that they don't want to come to our clinic because it's it's got a reputation. Lots of people didn't want to be seen coming in the doors of the clinic. Lots of people vote with their feet and go to a clinic that's away from where they live, so um, they won't get spotted. It's, it's sex, isn't it? People don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, people still feel quite uncomfortable. And Helen, do you see any... 
do you see any difference in the age groups? Because the one hope that I kind of feel that we have in a, in a whole range of different areas is that younger people are probably less prejudiced than some of the, uh, the, the older kind of generations and they don't have the same uh, foibles and bring the same kind of issues with them. Do you see any evidence to support that or actually would you say it's pretty uniform across no, the I, age No, groups? I think you're right actually. Um, sorry to go back to HIV, but um, when we've diagnosed younger patients with HIV, some of them have said, well, you know, I'm, you're telling me that I can live a near normal life or, or a normal lifespan, I just need to take my medication, I'm going to be fine. I'm not worried. The flip side of that is there are there are some in the younger group who are really hindered by the prejudice and the and the internalized shame that they're feeling. Mm. That's that's not always just about the HIV though. Sometimes it's about their sexuality, sometimes it's about um yeah. I think the, the main problem with sexual health is it's linked to other things in people's lives. So other things that people might not yeah. want to openly talk about or necessarily reveal about themselves. Yeah. And as a result you get this kind of prejudice on top of an already already other bit of prejudice so it's it's hard yeah yeah so tanya moving on to yourself are, are you comfortable to talk about any prejudice you yourself has experienced yeah uh, very much so I, I mean i did not transition at work initially because i was fearful that it would kind of harm my career and that's despite actually having a very understanding uh, boss, but I didn't feel that the rest of the organization was in the same space. And I felt that actually it would be really kind of quite uh, harmful. And therefore I decided that actually I wasn't gonna kind of take that risk at that kind of point in time. And that obviously has kind of consequences, uh, both in terms of kind of on the plus side, I suppose, in terms of preserving one's kind of career, but on the negative side of dealing with the kind of mental health issues that that kind of generates. I was just going to ask there, Tanya, so did, did that did that make you feel like almost in that period where you couldn't transition, you weren't living your authentic self, you weren't being your authentic self? Yeah, 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 yeah very, very, very much so. And it, it was a kind of complicated situation because... Um, we've got three children and I told my wife probably five years before we told the children so there was a whole kind of stepped kind of process really and the reason that we didn't tell the children was that a Anne had to kind of get her head around it first off um, and that took quite a period of time and then we really wanted the children to be in a kind of stable kind of position we didn't want to tell them it's all the kind of practical stuff that kind of gets in the way and if they're coming up to a GCSE year or an A-level year or they're going off to university is that the time when you want to kind of share with them some so we we waited really till there was a point where they were all kind of at a point where we felt they had space and time to be able to kind of cope with it and then uh, the next logical step was to to think about kind of transitioning at work, but I didn't really feel that kind of, as I say, that kind of confident within that kind of environment. And uh, you do feel that you're not, you're not able to bring yourself to work really. So you're probably not, you're not performing at your best. And it does make it, you know, kind of very difficult. I think I was very fortunate. I am very fortunate along with my kind of white male privilege. I have a lot of resilience and I'm able to kind of cope with quite a lot of stuff, but even that, you know, it eats into it over time. And um, 
you know, you also hold back a lot kind of socially because you don't want to kind of give anything kind of away. So, you know, you, you join in, but you're always quite guarded. Um, you know, there are, are quite many trans people, actually, and a few of them are my friends who still kind of effectively do live a, a, a kind of split life where they may be transitioned partly socially, but certainly in the work environment and not, and maybe even to all of their family or not. And I think it does have that impact on your mental health. And that's why I think it is so important, you know, that we do encourage everybody to bring their whole self to work. And Tanya, may I ask, now that you've transitioned and, you know, the children know, uh, and you said earlier that you're still with your, your wife, uh, how is life for you now that you have transitioned? Yeah, no, it's been um, kind of a fundamental shift. I mean, I couldn't have imagined kind of 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, kind of quite living the life that I'm kind of living now. And my children have been amazing. And most of the family, many of my friends have also kind of been amazing. And when you're kind of going through it, I, I, I mean, each time you have these conversations you kind of rehearse them in your head and you wonder how people are going to react and you and I particularly worried about the children because it was a bit of a nil-sum game in a way you know if I transition but lose the children then that's not where I kind of wanted to be um, but they've just been amazing it took them a few weeks to kind of get their heads around it but they've been so supportive and so kind of encouraging and just lovely about the whole thing um, you know, and I, I, that's why I kind of asked the question of Helen really about young people, because I do see a kind of different in attitudes, I think, among some young people that is kind of really encouraging, not just about trans issues or sexuality, but just more generally about prejudice, about race and everything else that I feel is kind of really encouraging for the future at a time when it's quite easy actually to look at the future and feel really quite scared about what are some of the things that are going on in the world. So we discussed you witnessing prejudice and what you've experienced. Are either of you comfortable to be open and honest and tell us about any personal prejudice, prejudices you may have yourself? Working in sexual health is maybe incredibly anti-male and it's really unfair <laughs> so sadly in sexual health we look after lots of people who are victims of sexual assault and domestic violence and it's not at all the case men and women are both experiencing both of those things but far more commonly we meet female victims and male perpetrators and you get to a point I've been doing this for a while you get to a point in your career where you just hear one more story where someone has been appallingly treated and sadly, what that means is the next um, man that walks in to see you for care then might get <laughs> um, the, the, the fallout. And I think with everything in the media as well, really important things like the Me Too movement, it me means that heterosexual cis men might find themselves in a position where if they do anything wrong at all, like if they're a minute late for their appointment, if I'm in the wrong mood, I might take that as a, you know... A, slur against all women everywhere <laughs> and so I have to be really 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 careful that's where my prejudice really lie at the moment and it's, it's no, not fair and that's but that's a really good thing to recognize that actually in your field that's how you feel and it's good that you know that and you you are you are aware of that um so that's uh that's really interesting to hear how about you Tanya uh, over the last few years I've become 
somewhat involved in the in the climate crisis and I do find myself quite prejudiced against people who are kind of not reacting to kind of what's going on in the in the in the world so you know it could be wealthy people continuing to fly particularly kind of private jets or or even take you know dozens of uh, of flights the whole time driving big cars um when you realize that you know so much of the emissions over the course of the centuries have been due to us in the west rather than the poorer communities that are suffering the ravages of kind of climate change right now you do start to kind of feel like you know we're not doing enough and i do feel quite prejudiced against those people that are not taking uh, the necessary kind of steps to uh to to tackle this existential threat so i think you know we all have those prejudices we all kind of carry them with us i suppose the one thing is that you know from the community that i'm from we're more aware of it so i i think when i do carry the prejudices i do realize quite quickly what i'm kind of doing and try to kind of adapt and change accordingly yeah i would agree i would agree with you as well i think i've become much I, I've opened my eyes to a lot of what I was carrying prejudice uh, prejudice wise back when I uh, lived in a shared house a group of gay men sharing together and there was a chap that lived with us who was HIV positive and I was grossly unaware of what HIV was I was 18 I'd moved out and we all got on absolutely great it was a wonderful experience lifelong friends um but as you as we you know we began to live together he was he confronted me one day and you know and he said you know are you are we okay is there something wrong and I just said I'm really worried that I'm going to catch HIV from you and he said Joe that's ridiculous he said you can't you can't catch it from hugging me. And we ended up sitting down and having a really in-depth conversation. And from that from that moment on, once I'd been educated on it, actually my prejudice just dropped completely. And I think that's something that we can all take forward is if you've got or feel that you're a bit prejudiced, as long as you're educated on the subject matter, then actually you can have a bit of more of an, a, an eyes open a view on on the on that subject i think so well versed in uh, in hiv and the ways that you can and can't catch it now so <laughs> feel much better about life so my final question to you both for now is um what do you think is the best strategy for confronting prejudice oh i think you need a lot of patience don't you i think <laughs> particularly at the moment everyone's got a lot on their plates and i think it's like like tanya was saying really having that resilience just to get up every morning and go do you know what i'm going to try again i'm going to I'm not going to give up. And I think there's quite a lot of days when I think I just can't really face the the energy that's going to re- be required to tackle whatever prejudice it is that's going to crop up today. Sometimes you just want to keep your head down. So I think it's about finding a bit of strength to keep doing that and then maybe not expecting it to work the first time <laughs> and not being too disappointed when you have to just keep banging on at people to, to get your point across. I would uh, echo all of that. And I would add the, the, the kind of education kind of point, because I think, you know, uh, prejudice can come from different points. And sometimes people might genuinely not realise that they're acting in a kind of prejudiced way. And it's just about having those kind of conversations and kind of reminding people. And I think, you know, in terms of the work environment in particular, you know, the the teams that we all work in are so important and the people that we work with. And if we can build strong relationships in those teams, then these are kind of conversations that we can have, I think, eventually as teams. Once we respect and trust each other, 
enough, then, you know, we can talk about the prejudices that we bring to work or don't bring to work. And just in that way, we can help kind of educate each other and support each other and support our teams in uh, addressing these issues. Well, thank you very much for both coming on today. I have one final question for you, one of the big ones uh, of the day. Uh, so, Tanya, if I can start with you, uh, what is your favourite cake and why? <laughs> so, I do love cake, but I do have a bit of a thing about kind of cake. Um, that is, I often find it kind of too sweet. So, when I, I bake cakes, I find myself cutting the... This is probably sacrilege, really, but I often cut the amount of sugar in the recipe maybe by by half or even oh my more. god yeah <laughs> um, you can see my face know. now Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite cake i think it would vary a bit with the seasons but as we come into summer it would have to be something like a kind of orange or lemon kind of polenta cake oh good choice very good choice uh helen what about you I remember just after our son was born, one of our friends did that thing. You know when people come around the day after your baby's been born? And um, and she bought this amazing passion fruit sponge and it disappeared off the shelves for a bit, but I think M&S have just started selling it again. So I'm very excited about that particular cake, mainly because it reminds me of a very happy time, but it's also a very good cake. <laughs> I will say Marks and Spencers do make some absolutely divine cakes. So, well, thank you both very much for coming along on the podcast today. Both myself and Jane are extremely grateful for your time. We know how busy you both are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Cake and to all of our guests for taking time out to talk about these sensitive subjects. Really good episode, I think, today. And yeah. it has left me with lots to think about yeah you don't realize actually how you make your own prejudice up as you go through and that's something that i'll take away from this episode for sure definitely and if you'd like to listen to another episode they are all available for you now wherever you get your podcasts from right then jane fancy a slice go on then